That's the simple message of the gospel, isn't it? Make room in your heart. A lot of folks have made room for him in their head. Yeah, in their head. But he really don't want just your head. He wants your heart. Most of us are so hard-headed, ain't much it can do, is it? He just has to work on us and beat us like a pumpkin and just kind of stomp us around every now and then to get rid of that old stubbornness that we've got. But if you can ever get a hold of our hearts, that's what changes the world, changes lives. Well, we're happy to be together tonight, aren't we, in the house of the Lord. Let's uh, turn to Genesis chapter 22, if you would. We'll read verses uh, 15 through verses 18. We're running kind of a parallel of these um, thoughts about getting in the spirit, it's evident. The people of the world are getting in the spirit of the last days, spirit of destruction. Iran's making their threats. Um, Russia's making theirs. Israel in the United States is threatening Iran back. Iran posted their map yesterday, I guess you probably saw it, all the different dots and all the places that they're going to strike Israel all up and down the coast, inside, all the way over into Lebanon, come over into the Palestinians. Remember I told you Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, the Palestinians are wanting them to bomb Israel. Well, they had some of the Palestinian lands also designated as going to bomb it. I'm not sure how that's going to go over, but they're in the spirit of the last days. Why? Well, it's the spirit that they're under, destruction. But I think the bride ought to be under a different spirit. We want to destroy our enemy for sure. But God wants us under the spirit of possession. That we possess what is our inheritance. Whatever God has given to us as his children, I want it all. Whatever's got my name on it, I want every bit of it. I don't want, figure there's no need saving it for the millennium. If it's earmarked for now, why not get it now? The millennium's blessings will take care of themselves. But I know I have to fight for it, and so do you. <clears throat> so this is the promise that God, of course, gave to, to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou wast obeyed my voice. Now for those of you that are familiar with the Koran, you understand why that the Muslims had to have a different Bible. Because this Bible calls Isaac Abraham's only son. Isn't that amazing that God did not recognize Ishmael, but he calls Isaac as his only son. So that leaves them totally beyond the covenant as far as redemption. So there's only one thing for them to do. And that is Satan had to anoint a man, give him dreams, visions, whatever kind of supernatural things that he had. I don't say that he didn't have them, but I just say they're contrary to the original word. So then he had to write a new book and made who? the choice son, Ishmael. So according to the Koran 
And according to Islam, it was Ishmael that was offered on the altar, not Isaac. So you see, it's the same spirit in every denomination or even the same spirit that would try to come around this message and replace the Bible. That we don't need the Bible no more. Well, we've outgrown the Bible. Don't you never believe that line, devil? That thing started a long, long time ago. So every spirit that denies the Bible as the Word of God is not the Spirit of God. Amen. It is Antichrist. <clears throat> so they have to do that in order to replace it. And they themselves, of course, are the chosen seed, they say. But we know God has vindicated His Word to be the truth. Aren't you glad you believe that with all your heart? <clears throat> We're going to pray tonight. How many has a need request on your heart? I'd like to uh, make a, a request known to you. Our oldest daughter, Alicia, has been um, having some passing out spells, and they've been going on for, for a while. Uh, <clears throat> but the doctors have determined that she has some sort of heart issues that are going on. And whenever she moves real fast or gets up, at, her blood doesn't regulate or her heart rate and all that. So it causes her to pass out. But the doctors put her on a medication for that, and they're thinking and hoping that it will help regulate it. Well, we don't just want to think and hope, we want to believe. Amen. So, and I know you've got so much to pray about, but the Bible tells us to make our requests known. I don't understand why so many people want to keep all of their needs to their self. That is so anti-Bible. We're supposed to share our needs. The Bible says, bear you one another's burdens. How can we do it if you don't tell us, right? I'm supposed to share mine, you're supposed to share yours. Why? So we can go before the Lord in prayer. How many has needs, requests, desires, petitions? Let's just take into him right now. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, first of all, we want to say with gratitude in our hearts, we're so thankful to be living in this day. I know it's an age of paradox. It is the darkest, most dreadful time. It's terrible. The darkness over our world, the darkness over our nation, the darkness in politics, in religion, it's absolutely awful. But at the same time, the light of God has never been any brighter. It is such a wonderful time as a child of God because we are living in the great hour of the fulfillment of the Word of God. The body change, the resurrection, so many wonderful things are laying right before us. We know that because you promised it. And we know when all hell comes up, breaks loose, all of heaven comes down. So it lets us know by the force and the power of darkness where we are in the light. Father, we bring our needs, our requests, our petitions before you. You've told us to ask much and ask for great things. We don't just have to find the smallest, littlest petitions that we have and think, well, I, I really don't know if God can meet those big things. I want to bring the biggest, the most, all, oh, the most impossible situations right along with the little ones because I know you are concerned about them all. 
Father, we join our hearts together tonight. We make our requests known, and we want to bear one another's burdens. Lord God, we ask you that you'd move for every need that was represented by the uplifted hand. Father, we ask you tonight for Alicia, Lord, that you would just help her. You see, Lord Jesus, these passing out spells that she's been having, and Father having one a few weeks ago, and Lord hitting the floor real hard and causing a concussion, hitting her head, the back of her head, causing her to be dizzy, and we know it ain't nothing but the devil. And we just call him what he is tonight, a liar. He is a liar and a bluff. But Lord Jesus, we believe the promise of your word. We ask you that you'd move forward, Father. We just pray that you would help her. Lord, may this medication that the doctor feels would be a benefit to her, may it help get her heart rate regulated, Father. We just believe you, Lord. Speak to us tonight from your word in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. Children, you may be seated. I'd like for us to venture back tonight where we left off last Wednesday night. And as I do sometimes, I will preach at a certain place and then for whatever reason, the Lord will illuminate something behind that spot to me and I will go back and that's what I'd like to, to do for just a few minutes tonight, uh, looking at Nehemiah and Ezra and Haggai and Zerubbabel and those folks of this particular time of restoration of what God had promised. Now, we've been looking at David and looking at Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and uh, people that were able, uh, people of the book, people of the promise that were able to obtain a victory. And for some of them, it was very rapid. It was very quick. For Daniel and the lions did, it was a moment that the pillar of fire moved down and paralyzed those lions in the presence of that fire. It was a moment that the Lord rode down on the thundercloud and come into that furnace of fire and took the burn out of the fire, the intense heat. But yet, whenever we look at Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, uh, those that were coming out of uh, the palace and out of a great land of security into the promised land. It was something that was spread over many, many years. And we know that sometimes when we pray and we ask God for petitions in our lives. It may be a healing in your body. It may be salvation of a son or a daughter, a wayward member of your family. And you pray and you pray. And it seems like that instead of them getting better, they actually get worse. So Daniel as a type would not necessarily represent your 
particular need because Daniel was momentarily Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a matter of seconds God moved on the scene. But yet here we have a different display of the way that God moves sometimes. And that is that God will allow a certain part of the manifestation of a promise to come to pass. And I hope you understand this, that miracles can actually be in stages. God took one miracle after another for the children of God to possess the land of promise. Yet the first initial miracle did not mean that all the land was in full possession. But yet it required one miracle after another, after another, after another. And some people say, well, if you ask God and God gives you a miracle initially, doesn't that mean the whole thing is done? Not if we look at the type of the children of Israel. I think tonight of my brother Ron Spencer and how our brother, as you know, has been in this battle in his health and in his body. And his doctors have told him that his life is one miracle after another. And they gave him just a span of a few months to live when they diagnosed our brother with this situation in his body. And yet every time he goes back, the doctors themselves tell him, you are a miracle. Yet some people would look and say, well, if he was a miracle, would not he be totally made well? No. The miracle power of God does not mean when God displays one miracle and manifests a miracle on your behalf that all of your symptoms are totally gone. God performed a miracle and allowed the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. But it didn't mean the whole land was their possession. God performed another miracle that he allowed hornets to be used to drive the captive people out of another city. That was another miracle. And God performed another miracle on and on. But yet it required one miracle after another. And sometimes we look at that and think, well, if God did this miracle, then would not the whole thing, the whole victory be ours? That depends on how he wants to give it to you. He might want to give it to you as one great display of one miracle and it consummates the entire victory at one time. Or he may subdivide it to where it will be one miracle linked to another, linked to another, and linked to another. And they may be set in a span of time that will cover many years. As we look at this instance in the restoration of the temple and the restoration of the walls and rebuilding of the gates and all this, and it was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah. And remember it was the year 536 B.C. Whenever God began to move on the heart of the heathen king and allow the people of God to start venturing back. And they moved back in three different pools or three phases. And God, now you think, why didn't they all move at one time? Whenever God began to move on the king, 
And Cyrus moved as he was inspired by the Spirit of God. And he began to say uh, what we read to you last week, that the God of heaven had given him all the, the empires of the world, the known world at that time. And the Spirit of God said to him, are there any uh, people among you that would want to go back to the land? Why didn't God just move on every Jew in the land and let them all go? But isn't it amazing that the Spirit of God moved on about 50,000 people? 50,000 people. Now, the book of Ezra is the first book of what is called the post-exile books of the Old Testament. What that means simply wrote down in common English is that it was the first book that was written and records the history after the exile from going under the king of Babylon and then they were taken over, of course, by the Medes and the Persians and then they start back on their journey back home. So Ezra is the first book. And God is going to restore Israel not only as the religious capital of his kingdom, but God is also going to have a political power. God is going to have an administrative power because they're going to be a nation again. Now, if they're going to be a church, they don't need governors. If they're going to be a church only, they don't need magistrates. But they're ultimately going to wind up being a city-state, but also cities that will become a national power. So they need more than a priesthood. They need more than prophets. They need men that will be able to become governors, which Nehemiah would become sometime later. So God has a multi-aspect revelation of what he wants to do for the people and the land of Israel. So God moves on Ezra. Now Ezra and Nehemiah are totally different. Ezra, of course, was a mighty man very solid, very spiritual, a man that really loved the word, a man that would no doubt have been a hard guy to set under because he was a man that when he got back to the land and what he found out that a lot of the people that had remained in the land, they started uh, dating and actually marrying some of these heathen women and then they found their children would speak half in the land, the tongue of Ashdod and half in the tongue of the Jews and they didn't know if they were Jews, if they were Hittites, if they were Amorites. Mine, I'll tell you, this guy started preaching that they should not date unbelievers. And actually, some of them had to leave their wives and their children and their families. Boy, I'll tell you, some of you had had a struggle with that, wouldn't you? But why? God was calling for a, a separation. But notice now under the administration of Nehemiah, which comes in 14 years after that, Nehemiah has a total different administration of the way God is going to call him. So God actually moves on Ezra and approximately 50,000 more people, and they come back. Now we have Zerubbabel, we have Haggai, the prophet, minor prophet, uh, we have these other minor prophets that are returning, but God, the light of God, the emphasis of what God is doing is not just upon Haggai or upon Zechariah, but initially the light is shining upon Ezra. 
So Ezra comes in, the book of Ezra covers a span of about 80 years, so the historians tell us, so it's quite a span there. So whenever they come in, they start rebuilding the foundation of the temple. Now what a strange thing that it might seem to us, but God actually wants the temple rebuilt first before he does the city. Now the temple was actually the time, the city is being reconstructed, reconstructed rather, as God will do in the church ages. Now remember the temple was built by one man and that one man was Solomon. That one man was a type of the messianic kingdom which was Christ. But now that God is going to rebuild it all, it's not rebuilt by one man, but rebuilt by many. What's God doing? He's typing out the seven church ages. That Christ built the original temple and it would go down into the dark ages. It would become corrupted and vile and fall apart. But God would start under the restoration of Martin Luther and he would use Luther, Wesley, and Pentecost, and that would be the type as being in the Testament here, that God would use Ezra, he would use Zerubbabel, he would use Haggai, he would use, remember in different phases it was Haggai that had to come to prophet, and he began to rebuke the people, and he said, why is it that you've allowed the house of God to line waste? And they, they become so satisfied in building just a little bit of it, and they got sidetracked, and they started building their own houses and he said you've got bags and you're putting your money inside of those bags and those bags have holes in them. He said why do you leave the house of God in waste? So they would have a revival and then they would slack off. And then God would send raise up another one and they would have revival and then they would slack off. Isn't there something about the laziness of the nature of man that we have to be stirred up from time to time? I mean knows that's true with you. Now we see then under this administration that God allowed Zerubbabel, you remember reading about Zerubbabel, also accompanied by another great man which was called Joshua and he was the high priest. Now not Joshua under the administration of Moses but also the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Now this is something that the Bible uh, that you don't know whenever you go to reading this about Ezra and Nehemiah that the Bible whenever they put it in together it's not chronologically placed exactly right according to the timeline and many people feel like that whenever Isaiah lived he was the only one there but whenever you go to studying these time frames some of these same men were alive at exactly the same time so Haggai was alive when Zechariah was alive and yet there was also Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel and also Ezra and Nehemiah but it's like the light of God would shine upon different ones of them and would give them the administration. Haggai just prophesied a few little chapters in his book and yet Zechariah prophesied many. He even wrote about the promise of this day that there would come light in the evening time. And they were alive on the earth at the same time but the light of God shined on one and then shined on another. I don't know if you know this or not but whenever Abraham got old and the administration of God changed from Abraham to Isaac and the Bible does not mention Abraham anymore after the 
very last time the scripture mentions Abraham, but yet Abraham was still alive when Jacob was alive on the earth. And yet the Bible mentions nothing about Abraham, only in reference, and yet Abraham is still alive. Do you understand? Whenever the light changed in from Isaac to Jacob, that Jacob was, here he was, he become the light of God for the age, and it went silent on, on, on Isaac because now the light of God was shining on him. And it was the same way when it come to Joseph, and it moved from one to the other to the other. My, I love that. I hope that God helps you and I we live to where the younger generation takes administration of this church that we have no problem with that we're not jealous and we can't turn it over to them but we're able to stand right there with them the way that Abraham did Isaac did Jacob did and so on now whenever the spirit of God would move under this administration you see this is what displays to me that I see this as a body that God is doing because God is taking different ones and using them for different administrations why didn't God use Zerubbabel and let Zerubbabel be the one that would lead them back. That wasn't the one God chose. God chose Ezra. Now God spoke to Zerubbabel. You ever remember reading that of course? And God spoke to Joshua when he stood there with the filthy garments and the angel of the Lord come down and cleansed him. So God had an administration for Joshua. If you can understand it, it was prefiguring the fivefold ministry in the Old Testament. And each one of them had a certain part of the administration that they would administer to the body and they recognize the need for each other. Instead of trying to stand up and say, well, Ezra said, well, I don't need you, Zerubbabel. I don't need you, Joshua the high priest. I don't need you, Nehemiah. I'm the main man. I'm going to do this whole thing. They had enough sense to know they needed one another. Now they were able to look at it and see their limitations. Oh, may God help us to do that. That they realized and somehow they did not feel threatened. Ezra did not feel threatened because he did not have all the answers and all the administration. So he was able to recognize Joshua the high priest. He was able to recognize Zerubbabel. He was able to recognize the others. And when Nehemiah comes in 14 years later, you don't find Ezra standing up and rebuking him, even though Ezra is much older, you don't find Ezra going around now and you know just constantly uh, trying to run him down and say, oh, don't listen to him. He's a young whippersnapper. But actually what you find is Ezra backing off because it was under his administration that the temple is going to be rebuilt. But God gave Nehemiah a vision for the walls to be rebuilt. Why would not the same man who rebuilt the house of God know how to lay stone and lay the wall? No doubt he would but God wanted that part to be given over to Nehemiah. You understand what I'm saying? You see, that's one thing that those who only believe that the only ministry that's still active in the last day is the ministry of Brother Branham, you realize how blind that they really are. First of all, they're, they're denying the Bible they're, and they're denying the very prophet that they say they believe with all their heart because Brother Branham never taught that in the first place. Brother Branham never laid his hands on tape players and said, when I'm gone, they will replace me. Brother Branham laid his hands on men. Right. 
Praise the Lord. Brother Branham laid his hands on men's head and told them to preach the word. I've been mentioning it to you that you need to listen to the tape taking sides of Jesus. And if you haven't listened to it, you need to listen to it. 1962, I've been listening to it several times again this week over and over again. And you can see why that many of the tape only people will not listen to that tape because Brother Branham goes back to the history. Brother Branham goes back to the scripture and he lays out the apostolic format of what God is going to do and Brother Branham catches that same vision and says that's the way the message should be done today. So you can see why a lot of folks don't listen to that tape but when God brought me to the message I have a right to preach the whole thing. I've got a right to listen to all the tapes so don't think you're going to keep me away from one. I'm going to listen to it and you ought to do the same. Now whenever you look at that you realize then that God puts it in the body but yet each one of them are going to possess the enemy's gates in a little bit different way. Now the victory that Ezra is able to accomplish in his life is going to be totally different from that of Zerubbabel. And then Zerubbabel will do things for the kingdom of God that Joshua the high priest won't do. And Nehemiah when he comes in later there'll be things that he will do that neither Ezra nor the others will do but yet whenever they get the walls built and they construct the gates and they get them all ready and then you move over into chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah and then what do you find? You find that here shows up Ezra again and Ezra gets up before the people and starts reading the word. Now remember it had been years and years since many of these people had actually had meetings and the Bible said when Ezra stood up to read the word that the people stood up. This is why we stand when we read the word and that they had built him a pulpit or it was a flat area and he was elevated a little bit higher than the people and whenever he started reading the word the people got so excited and they started saying amen amen wow whenever Ezra just started reading the word they started saying amen and amen and the people got so caught up in the word that the, then the Bible says that they got down on their faces like and they started worshiping God then they, they asked him keep on reading keep on reading and then the Bible says that the priests and the porters and the Levites they got down among the people now remember in the time there was approximately 50,000 Jews that had returned back over this span of a few years and they were sitting there with a congregation of 50,000 people and the Levites and the porters and the priests actually got out among the people and the Bible says that they gave understanding to the word. So Ezra was standing up there just reading it and then here was these other ministers and they were going out among the people and the Bible says that they was giving understanding. I don't know if you remember it or not but I preached a series on this many, many years ago on a revival of understanding. So here the people were hearing it, but they were not comprehending what they were hearing. They were not perceiving the depth. So here went the Levites and the priests out among them, and they began to not add to it, not take away from it, but bring understanding. And when they did, this caused a revival. So God did not send an army there and polish their spears, you know, and take up their swords and all that, but God sent a revival of understanding understanding and the new civilization in the land would be based upon worship and not upon fighting with swords. Yeah. 
So it's going to, a whole nation now is coming back to God, but the restoration is going to be governmental, it's going to be in a society, it's going to be all of that, but God wants it to be upon a basis of a scriptural foundation, and it starts a great revival among them. Oh, don't you love that? Now, notice this in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. God's work always has adversaries. It always has, it always will. And the adversary will change his tactics from time to time. And he will try one thing and then try another and try another. And this is exactly what he did. And God is rebuilding his church in this type. And this is a very great type in the Old Testament types of church ages. And remember the prophet tells us that there were seven church ages in the Old Testament. So Solomon was the first church age which was the Ephesian age. And what did Solomon do? Solomon got away from his love from the Lord. Remember God renamed Solomon and called his name another name, Jedidah. So God called him his own son. Now God spoke to him in an antitype or a prefigure of Christ and he said he will be my son. I will call him my son. So here he's speaking of the future incarnation of the word made flesh but God is also speaking to Solomon as a man. And Solomon had a great love for the Lord and he built the house of God. But Solomon did what the Ephesian church age did whenever he said I have somewhat against you because you have left or lost your first love. And that's what Solomon did. He lost his first love. So that was the Ephesian age of the Old Testament. By the time we come to Nehemiah, we come to where the spiritual Catholicism had taken away the love among the people and they were in darkness and they was in a great spiritual strait. So God sent different men, three different pools of the word and they would start restoring. One would restore one part, one would restore another. But it's all building back up what God God had said by Jeremiah that I will bring the people back to the land again. Now watch with me if you read there in Ezra chapter 4 verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel. Now remember we've got Ezra and now we have Zerubbabel that is also part of this building. They came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you. Now remember who these are. These are the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. Why are they wanting to join with them? Why are they wanting to come in and build the house of God? They are adversaries, they are known enemies, and yet they want to join ranks and to build. Well, this is of course typical for two of the methods that the enemy will try to use in the form of opposition. If he cannot scare you away from the promise, then he'll offer to join ranks with you so he can start working on the work of God from within and to sow discord. Is that right? Notice, let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Asadon, king of Ashur, which brought us up hither. Now if you know the Babylonian history, you know that the Assyrians came in first, and then they took the Jews out captivity, and they placed these people here. This is actually a birth of the Samaritan people. So this is the Mount Gerizim that they went and built the temple. Remember St. John 4? Whenever the Samaritan woman told Jesus, well our fathers say in this mountain is where we ought to worship, and you say in Jerusalem 
Jerusalem. What she's making reference to is exactly what they're quoting here in Ezra uh, that we just read, chapter 4. So it was on Mount Gerizim that they started this religion, and it was part of these people that they were hybrids. So they said, oh yeah, we believe God, but they believe that this God, Jehovah, was the God of Israel, but he wasn't the God of the universe. So all they done was added him to the rest of their God list. So they had a God of the country, a God of the hills, a God of the mountains, a God of the wind. Oh man, I'm so glad I've got one. Can you imagine having to have a God of the wind and a God of a bellyache and a God of a backache? Lord, have mercy as many aches and pains as we've got. We'd have to have a truckload just to pack the God for all of our pains, wouldn't we? But aren't you glad you've got one God for your salvation, one God for your healing, one God for your body change? Oh, we don't have to have one for this and one for that. So what they've done, they simply added this God to their God list. But that was not the way the children of Israel worshipped him. You see, these were polytheistic in that they worshipped more than one God. And this is exactly what Satan did, of course, whenever he had corrupted the church and he introduced the idea of polytheism, which the apostolic church never believed that there was a God called Father and another God called Son and another God called the Holy Ghost, but they believed that God was made manifest in a human form and took on a human name, Jesus Christ. But polytheism from the Old Testament merged into this, and then they started baptizing in the titles of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, which is not even a scriptural formula at all. But what do these people do? Well, they want to bring polytheism back into the one God of Judaism. So let us work with you. Let us build with you, because we worship your God as well. Now, if the devil cannot stop you from going on with whatever it is you're claiming your promise for, they offered to help in the construction process, thereby hoping to infiltrate the ranks and pollute the ranks from within. Friends, you understand, this is the way our nation has already been moth-eaten right now. It's not the bombs of Russia that is destroying America. It's the politicians. Look at the people. My crime is on the increase. Homicide is on the increase. Why, why? it ain't no wonder when we've got these people screaming, get rid of the police. Are they out of their mind? Look at all the homicides that's increased. Look at all of these things that are going place. I read just on Monday where a city, a certain city, that people went in and broke out glasses and doors and went in and stole over $100,000 worth of merchandise in just a few minutes and a lot of these liberal cities, they're letting them do it. They're not even sending the police on them. This cannot be America. This cannot be the America that I I was raised up in, you've got to be kidding me. This is the America that used to be our homeland. What is happening? We are rotten from within. This is how Russia will come to the place because America, as Rome was, as many of the great empires of the past have been, they deteriorated from within. Oh my. And this is, of course, what Satan wants to do. Then, of course, if he cannot do that, then he will frighten the builders and try to convince them they'll never be able to accomplish what they want to do. But notice in verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel, said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. I want you to notice they do not say he's their God. 
They said he's our God. Why? Because they knew the truth. They are not being judgmental and they are not being harsh. They're not being mean. They're telling the truth. They knew these people looked at him as another God, not the mighty God, as another God. And God would not receive their worship. So they absolutely had no problem in saying it. Oh my, ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together, notice this, together, together, will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Brother, when you get a revelation of who you are and where you're standing, you can look at the devil square in the face and say, I ain't going to, oh no. Back off. Oh no, not today, devil. And not tomorrow, and not next week, and not next year. I ain't backing down. Praise be to God. Notice then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. Now, first of all, they tried to join forces with them and deteriorate the work of God from within. Whenever they refused to do that, then they weakened the hands. Now, this is an odd term to us, but actually it was a Hebrew a word that it meant to weaken the hands as one was to deprive them of strength and courage for action. Deprive them of strength and courage Courage for action. And we know in a time like this, it would take courage for action. Let me just tell you, in the time we're living, it takes courage for action. It's just easier to sit down and just die. Let's just all succumb to the, the, the fear of COVID. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't succumb to the first round, and what the devil do? Well, he brought another virus, variant of the coming. And here come this one, and well, guess what's happened? There's another one that's already sweeping the world. Well, I'll tell you one thing, we faced the first round, we second, we faced the second one, we'll face the next one, and if there's another one coming, we'll face it too. Why? Because we are the people of God, and we have a claim on him as our Lord, our Savior, and our healer, but Brother Donnie, many people went away. That wasn't nothing but just an opportunity for the Lord to take some of his young ones home. It was their time, friends. That's all we can say. The devil cannot take you at his leisure. The devil can never destroy the purpose of God. Notice this, in the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Now I want you to notice what they do. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius king of Persia. Now we're looking at years, by the West, years of a span that they hired one after another after another. And when that didn't work, they'd try this one. When that didn't work, they'd try that one. And it wasn't like they'd done it three or four times. But they actually changed from the original edict of Cyrus. Whenever Cyrus died and Darius become the king, they went right on. My, that sounds like a modern day battle of a saint of God. You're fighting for your health. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for whatever it is. And you go through one phase and another phase. You say, Lord, is there any relief in sight? Just keep on fighting, brother. Remember, our king has got his eye on you. 
And the devil will try one thing and another. But the reason he's doing it, because you have got something he don't like. If you was already his, he'd let up on you a long time ago. Oh, that's exactly right. But because we will not compromise and we don't want to be a part of the devil's kingdom. Do you? I don't want to join ranks with the devil. I don't want to join league with the devil. The devil said, well, come on, let me be with you. No thanks, devil. I don't want none of your trash. I don't want none of your stuff. I don't want to be nothing a part of the devil's kingdom. Oh, my. And hard counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. You sisters are called to be a housewife, a mother, a daughter of God. Satan will do everything he can to frustrate that purpose of God in your life. Brothers, you're called to be men. You're called to be husbands if God's given your wife. Called to be fathers if he's given your children. He'll do everything he can to frustrate that purpose. And then we're called to be sons and daughters of God. He'll do everything in his power to frustrate that purpose. And he may try to frustrate it, but he can't stop it. I want to serve notice on hell tonight. There is not enough demons. There is not enough powers in all of hell to stop the church of the living God. Let me bring it on down. There is not enough powers in all of hell to stop me as a son of God, to stop you as a son of God, to stop you sisters as a daughter of God. The only way the devil can ever defeat you is because you allow him to do it. But I believe if you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'll fight that devil. You'll gnaw on him till you lose every tooth in your head. And when your teeth are all gone, you'll gum him. Amen. You'll make it hard on him you'll torment him till you draw your last breath. Why? Because you are not frustrated by the devil. You're not overcome by the devil because our purpose is his purpose and his purpose is our purpose. We're brought on the earth to serve God and this devil cannot take our life until God's finished. Now let's move from that time frame. Some years passed now, 14 years, to where Nehemiah is standing by the king's side, the cupbearer. And he has this torn up look on his face. And you remember the story. And the king asks him what it is. And he, he tells him that the walls of his city, of his heritage, are laying flat and they're not safe. So the king gives him authority to be able to go back. Now, Ezra's there. Zerubbabel is there. Joshua's there. Why don't they go out and, and, and continue on? They, were, they were, had to be great stonemasons to rebuild the house of God. Why don't they do it? Well, because God wants someone else to be able to work in the same work. Now, I mentioned to you last Wednesday night, I believe in a one-man message, but I do not believe in a one-man ministry. Amen. Type it in just to check me out if you want to and show me where Brother Branham ever used that term, one-man ministry. He didn't believe in such. Brother Branham was a word prophet. Only anti-word believe in such. Now watch, he, he wanted Nehemiah, but not only Nehemiah. Oh, I love, love this. Notice in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. Notice how under the administration now of Nehemiah, the word becomes more personalized 
in the lay body, the laity, than it was under Ezra. Now under Ezra, the administration is fo focusing on the house of God, the place of worship, the building. But under Nehemiah, the people are becoming more identified with the work themselves. So it's not this great man and he's doing all the work and he's doing this and this and you know, we're just little nobodies. But I want you to notice how that God begins to personalize under the administration of Nehemiah. Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. I found it so phenomenal whenever I began to look at some of the names of these people. Now remember, they named people because of a meaning. And they might call them something whenever they were born, and then they would watch them for a few years. And they would watch their traits become manifest, and they would actually rename them. And they would give them another name because they realized that named them the wrong thing at birth. So they would rename them whenever their true character was manifest. That's what God did to Abram. That's what Jesus done to Peter. That's what he did to Jacob and so on. But notice this man here, Elashib. His name means God restores. God restored. Now remember, the people you hang around with, the people you fellowship with, can have a great impact on you. Now I want you to listen to the people that Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Joshua, and these leaders have around them. Amen. So this first man here that we find, his name means God restores. Well, what are they doing? They are rebuilding the standard around the house of God. Now the house is already built. And they've got the temple, it's already there. I mean, they're worshiping God, but they still don't have the standard or the protection around it, and the walls are laying flat. So look at these people as they now enter into the work, and their names start being called out as they enter into this phase of the work. So this is actually the third pull. Glory. This is the final phase of whenever the city is going to come back because sometime after this, Nehemiah actually becomes the governor. So the final phase of it is whenever the governorship is going to be set over the earth. What is this for the bride? Going into the millennium when our Lord Jesus will be governor over the earth. Amen. Then Elashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and they built it. Now notice what gate they built. They built the sheep gate. So under the administration of the high priest, amen, and his brothers, the sheep gate got rebuilt. Notice, under the administration of the high priest. Well, that was in the Old Testament. But we have a new high priest in the New Testament which is after the order of Melchizedek. And our new high priest also has brothers that are continuing the same work 
And what are they doing? They are also continuously building the sheep gate. So the sheep can find their way in to the great place of worship in God's presence. Now watch how the wall is being built and erected. They built the sheep gate, they sanctified it, and they set the doors of it even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. Now look at the word Hananiel. It means God has favored. Now watch what's happening. The wall is, oh glory to God. The wall and the gates and the towers are taking on personification. The people are so a part of the work that they themselves are lending their own name to the work that is being rebuilt. You say, Brother Donnie, what in the world are you trying to get at? Well, don't you remember whenever God came down and made himself known to Jacob and Jacob built an altar and he called the name of that place El Elohi Israel. El, Elohi, Israel, God, the God of Jacob. So he builds this altar after the, the junction or the union together of his name and God's name. And his place of worship not only had the name of God, but it also had his name embedded in there. Don't you understand? When we receive the name of the Lord Jesus through his blood life and the name was placed on the door of the house of God and when we come under that name, that door, then we enter into that family. Oh, that's God's place of worship. That's why the prophet would make this astounding statement. There is where God and his people are worshiped together. Oh, I know that blows people's minds. It's because they don't understand worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's happening? The people are so becoming a part of the work. Now notice again, it's not just Ezra. It's not Zechariah. It's not Haggai. It's not Zerubbabel. It's not Joshua. But it is the people themselves. Now here it is, of course, the high priest. But then it moves over into people that are goldsmiths and silversmiths and people that were raising sheep and people that were farmers and they were all putting in something on the house of God, I ain't talking about your money. I'm talking about your prayers. I'm talking about your bending knees down on your bed at night. Oh my, and your burden to do something for the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice Hananiel, God has favored. Next unto him builded the men Oh, Jericho? Wow, that's where the heart of Rahab come from, right? So here we have some that had been transplanted, moved there to Jericho. They've lived over here in Babylon and in Susa and Persia, but they have now come back into another homeland and they're identified with their new homeland name. And they're called the men of Jericho. Don't call me a drunk. Don't call me a liar. 
Don't call me a cheat. Don't call me this and that and the other. Call me a son of predestination. Call me a son of election. Come on, saints. Our old identity, we should no longer be identified by that. We are children of the king. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. I'm not what I was. Oh, who I was met who he is, and it changed me to who I am now. Praise be to God. Who I was met who he is, and it's changed me to who I am. I am not a son of darkness. I am not a son of this wretched world. I am a son of election. I am a son of predestination. I am a son of the calling of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Next to them builded Zakur, the son of Imrah. Look at the word Zakur. It means mindful. Now look at the meanings of these words so far. God restores. God has favored. Mindful. So God restores and God has favored and God is mindful. Boy, if I don't describe the bride, I'm telling you what. Notice this, but the fish gate did the sons of Hanaseah build who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars. It's like the work is being divided. Now remember, this is quite a city all around Jerusalem. So that one guy just ain't going down doing the whole thing and he gets all the glory. But something anoints them and they move. And each one of them, some of them building the wall, some of them building a gate, some of them's building a bar. But each of them are putting in their very best for what purpose? To restore the house of God, the place of God, the name of God, the city of God. Oh, I would to God we could do that in the message. I would to God we could learn the importance of that instead of spending so much time fighting one another and running this guy down and that guy down, oh my, instead of just trying to make one man the big cheese of everything and realize that God's called this man for this work and this one for that work and that one for that work. If it's the work of God, what difference does it make, friends? It don't matter if one man's bigger than the other, one man's smaller than the other. This was not for the glory of Nehemiah. It was not for the glory of Ezra. It was for the glory of God. Notice this, and next unto them repaired Merimoth. Merimoth, the son of Urijah. Merimoth, elevations, elevations. When God restores and God remembers and God brings you back, he brings you to elevations in his glory. So here is elevations which is the son of Urijah, which means Yahweh is my light or my flame. Praise God. Yahweh is my light or my flame. Brother, you talking about some good people to go to church with. Wow. Wow, I mean, these, Brother West, these are the kind of people you want to go to church with. Man alive, you get people like this. Now remember, all of us, all of us are identified by a name. Now, people around the world know my name, Donnie Reagan. But a lot of folks don't call me Donnie Reagan. They call me lots of other things, and some of them wouldn't be lawful for me to repeat, no doubt. But yet some might say, oh, hardhead. 
or oh, you know, oh, he, you know, he's racial or he's crazy or he's this or the other. And that's what they name me. But that's not who I am. Come on now. And probably you, you know, and your raising, you may have had, uh, whenever you was down in Kentucky and ever whiz kids, you know, there were certain people that would say, oh, grouch bag, or oh, growl bag, or, you know. So we actually, oh, y'all didn't do that? Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize y'all was angels from the womb up. My. So what is that? We actually would rename them. Now, we had an uncle and an aunt that would come over, and it was actually a great uncle and a great aunt. And uh, it was my, my grandmother's sister, and uh, the, the man's name was Preston, and, and the woman's name was Bertie. And whenever they'd come to the house, and Preston would get his stay out, you know, pretty quick, and Preston would go get in the car. And then Preston would sit out there, and Bertie was still just a-talking. And Bertie would make it out of, the, out of the living room, you know, into the kitchen, and her mom would be talking, and then whoever was sitting pressing, out there in the horn, just blowing the horn. And us kids, we'd get out there and watch him, and we'd make fun of him and say, well, call him old horn blower, and call him different kinds of things. Well, that was our name, because that, oh, glory to God, that's what he did. Well, you know, people, that's real tight, and boy, they watch every nickel, and they watch every dime, and you say, man, they're tight as a tick on a fat dog. I mean, they're just those skin flints. Well, why do we do that? We are renaming them by the outstanding trait or character that sticks out the most to us. Oh, my. Well, can you imagine you're going to church with God restores? And when you say that, they can say, amen, I was a backslider, and I come back to God. And you're going to church with God is mindful, and somebody said, amen, I had a prayer before him for 15 years, and he just today answered it, God is mindful. You imagine going to church now with people who are renamed. At one time, I said, well, that's the sorriest drunk in the land. I'll tell you what, that man ain't nothing but just a womanizer. He does this. Well, why would a man have that name? Because he jumps from one woman to another. But God can take men that were womanizers, save them, sanctify them, fill them with the Holy Ghost, and turn them into real sons of God and make them princes among men. Is that right? Then what do they do? They get a new name, a new identity. People say, I want you to look at him. He ain't nothing but a real gentleman. And yet years ago, that man was called a womanizer or called a drunk or called this or that. Oh my, how lovely it is to come to the house of God when you got folks that's been renamed from a prostitute to a daughter of God, from a liar to a tooth teller, from somebody that you couldn't depend on for nothing and they're as stable as a rock of Gibraltar. Why, this is the type of people that the Lord Jesus has in his body. Amen. I believe we got people right here tonight. We got people that are part of our assembly. Amen. And they have been renamed. They are doing the work of God. And this is the way they are known. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you're right, Yahweh is my light. Or my flame. Praise God. Next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mehushabil. Man alive, and I thought Donnie was complicated. <laughs> Aren't you glad your name is Wes? <laughs> Look at Berechiah. Jehovah blesses. Now, this is your name. 
Oh, I don't think you're getting it. This is your name. Every time anybody would address you, they were calling you by Jehovah blesses. Jehovah is mindful. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired. Notice how they're just one lot and another. Now maybe they really didn't even like each other until they started working on the wall. And they had this thing about people from Tekoa, which are Tekoites. And maybe they, maybe they had something about the people from, you know, from Jericho. But the more they was around them, and the more they started working, the more they realized they misjudged that brother. They misjudged that sister. I wish somebody hear me preach tonight. I'd say there's probably people in this church that you really don't know that well because you have a predetermined you know, thought about who they are and what they are. And I can never like that person. Well, why do you say that? Many times because you really don't know them. But if you ever open up yourself beyond your little clique. Uh-huh. I'm preaching with or without you. It just makes it better for you if you say amen. If you'll open up yourself beyond your little clique, you might find out there's more folks in this church that you really like very, very well. Well, boy, it's getting hot in here, ain't it? Man, a lot. Now, notice this. I want you to watch that Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I figure what you need to do to nobles like that is get rid of them. They're only noble by title. You mean they wouldn't even turn a hand to the wall of God? They just stand there by the west and cross their arms like they're working for the state? I mean, they wouldn't do nothing. Yours people laboring and sweating and doing all these kind of things, and they wouldn't do one thing? They ain't very noble to me, are they you? Oh my. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Bosadia. Wow, what names. Whew. I like the meaning of that old boy's name, though. In the secret of the Lord. Now, these are the people you're working with. I wonder if God would ever let us see the innermost hidden part of the saints of God that we go to church with. You see, each of us are going to get a new name. Uh-huh. My name in heaven was not Donnie Reagan, Donald Lee Reagan Jr., the legal name. That was not my original name. My original name was spoke by my father before the foundation of the world. I took on the human name, Donnelly Reagan Jr. I've always preferred to be called Donnie, so that's the way I'm known. But one day, I will get again my name, which was spoke about me before the foundation of the world. Now, you believe what you wish. I believe that when we are born again, the influence of my true name starts affecting my life from my new birth. 
unlike my father and mother. My, they'd name after my daddy, of course. But the Jews would name one. The Indians done the same thing. The Indians would name a child, maybe a Cherokee or, you know, a Blackfeet or Lakota or whatever it was. And then as that child would have some great event in its life and it would do a great work, they would actually rename that child because the character of the child was hidden for many, many years. But unlike them, the Lord God sees our character. He sees what we are. He sees what we will mature into being on the earth and he names us accordingly. I believe Brother Branham was living under the influence of his new name. I believe you sons and daughters of God that are filled with the Holy Ghost, you are living under the influence of your word name and that's what makes you fight like you fight. That's what makes you believe like you believe. You say, well, I do this and I do that. One of these days you're going to realize it ain't you anyhow. It's because you're a part of the right family and your daddy names you the right name. Oh, glory to God. And one day when this battle is over, you're going to walk into that name that you will find out influenced you all of your new birth life. Praise be to God. What was it? It was something that influenced you. Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now you imagine every time you'd go have fellowship with this brother, when you'd call his name, you'd say, in the secret of the Lord, and he would say, yes, Jehovah blesses. <laughs> and then Jehovah is mindful will answer back. Are you understand what I'm saying? These are the type of people you were working with on the wall. Oh, they would influence you. You would influence them back and forth. Their name bore their dedication and consecration to Almighty God. I about had me a running fit the other day when the Lord started giving me this. I thought, Lord, that is so awesome. Notice in verse seven, next unto them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jaden. Jaden. Oh, what a name. Thankful. Thankful. So here you got in the secret of the Lord, Jehovah praises and all this. And there's another brother right there amongst you and he's just thankful. He's just happy to be there. Man, he may not be able to pack the biggest rocks and he may not be able to mix the mortar right, but he is so happy to be there. He just lifts everybody else and helps them. He just bops around, you know, just glory to God. Ain't it good to be a child of God? Ain't it good to be so saved? Aren't, aren't you glad there's folks that they're just the smiley, the saved class? They're just the smiley, you understand what I'm saying? They just have that smile on their face and when you see them all, that's one thing about Brother Eddie Lilly that every time I'd see him, he always had that smile on his face. Oh my. I never spoke great theological terms to him. I never went through a, a lot of big, large discussion, but there was always that identity. Can you imagine a child of God and in hell? You're not known because, boy, you can stand up and speak that Greek and you can divide them diphthongs from all the rest of them and all the rest of that stuff, but all you do is just smile. You just smile. You're going, praise God. Ain't it a good day? Your wheel just fell off your car and your tractor just blowed up and your dog got run over. You say, glory to God. It's a, it's a good day to be a child of God. 
Man alive, I had a parade all set and it rained on my parade. My check didn't come in to pay my bill, but I had breasts this morning. I had a little bit of breakfast. I had a little bit of lunch. I've got a wife. She's saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. We've got a place to lay down. We've got to put a roof under our, over our head. Hallelujah. I'm just happy to be alive. I'm just thankful to be a Christian. My, we need folks like that to work on this building. You look around, so many people. Hand me some more mortar, would you? Okay, I'll go make it for you. And here comes thankful. What in the world's the matter with him? Reckon where he gets his prescription fulfilled at? Calvary! Calvary! It ain't nothing from Walgreens! It ain't nothing from CVS! He's got a good dose of thankfulness! And Jaden, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Hanariah, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. This old boy worked at the local drugstore. Now you think, what in the world does he know about building a wall? Maybe he had a little hydrocortisone for the itch. Maybe he had a little something, a little lidocaine in it for a little backaches or something. But ain't it amazing? People that were called outside of what you would think was what, that was not their norm. But they wanted to do something so bad for the house of God. You imagine that old boy was apothecary. Then he, he put together compounds and then made aromatherapy stuff. So he put together and they say, boy, you always know that old boy. I smell him. They say, what in the world is he doing here? Well, maybe he just brought a little bit of fragrance around the rest of you stinking polecats. Now a goldsmith. A goldsmith that would take gold and be able to, to do fine work. He said, what's he doing working on a wall? He wanted to do something for the house of God. He could have made no doubt more money by time making a gold ring or a gold necklace or a bracelet or a charm or something like that. He said, forget the money. I want to do something for God. Can I do something? Can you imagine they'd come over and they'd shake his hand and say, Lord have mercy. That's the way I feel sometimes when I shake the hands of some of these brothers. My hand feels about like a woman's hand. Well, it does. I ain't got hard calluses and all broke like some of you brothers. Your brother's hands all hard cracked and this and that and the other. Well, I handle a sword. So I grab a hold of even some of you sister hands is rougher than mine are. Imagine this old goldsmith come over to Jehovah blesses and he come up to laughter and he come up there and said, how you doing? He said, what's this way I'm going to do? But he might have been the trial guy. And then laid on stone, he just take it and go, he said, look at that. He made that so pretty. Wow. We do need him after all. This is what I believe. Every person that God sent to be a part of Happy Valley, 
whether they're a goldsmith or whether they're a mud man or a mud woman or whether they lay the stone or pack the water or they fix dinner for all of us. We need every one of them. And I'm going to tell you one thing. There may be some of you that have to pack more burdens and there may be some of you that more responsibilities placed on you. But I want you to know that I love every one of you. I want you to know that we as a body of God, we need one another. And whatever portion of the wall that the Lord God has given for us to build, let's build with all of our might. Oh my, we might be down one day and we need Brother Laughter to come around and go to laughing around a little bit. And we might need a goldsmith to go and put a little fine touch on the work. Or we might need another one to come around and we can smell that he's been in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. And it uplifts our spirit. We need you, brother, sister. Oh. Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Hadariah, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Repaiah, the son of Hur. Ah, oh, Repaiah. Look at the meaning of his name. Healed of Jehovah. Praise God. How many of you are blessed every time a saint of God from our assembly or somewhere else turns in a testimony? I had this or this or this. Don't it bless your heart? Whether they come to our assembly or not, that don't make a difference. We're just so blessed by the way. What is it? What is it? God is writing this attribute in their life. But let me tell you something, friend, as bad as we hate to hear it, as bad as we hate to say it, before God can ever manifest any healing, somebody's going to have to be sick in their body. Before God can ever manifest a miraculous miracle of divine healing and work in somebody's body, it means that somebody's going to have to go through some hard times. But look what your name will be. Look at what your name will be. Healed of Jehovah. Raphael was a descendant of Zerubbabel and David. Praise God. Next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of whatever that old boy's name is. Even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hattush, the son of Hattush. <laughs> I really like this guy Hattush not just because I can pronounce his name either <laughs> look at the meaning of his name assembled assembled we all need to be called Hattush what do they call you? Hattush. Hattush what? Hattush is going to church. Hattush is going to the house of God. That's my name. That's who I am. It's part of my inheritance. Don't you see? When we come to church, it's a prefigure of us going to heaven. What is us going to heaven? Church forever. <laughs> I don't understand why folks that want to go to heaven when they don't want to go to church. Going to heaven is church for eternity. <laughs> Amen. Heaven ain't going to Walmart 
for eternity. It ain't going to the mall for eternity. It's going to church for eternity. Being in the house of God where we praise and worship and sing and shout and bless the name of the Lord for eternity. Oh my. And here they got somebody working on the house of God and he kept reminding them, come to church, come to church, come to church, come to church. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shaluan, the son of Kolhosan, the ruler part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Saloi by the king's garden under the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Azmuk, the ruler of the half part of Bethsur. Look what you've got. Rulers, priests, goldsmiths, Walgreen guys, mud makers, rock carriers, dinner makers. No doubt some of the sisters is there making lunch and packing water for these brothers to do the work. It was a great work. But it wasn't their work necessarily. It was the work of God. Oh my. Over against the sepulchres of David and to the pool that was made into the house of the mighty. After him repaired the Levites. Rehum, the son of Benan. Next unto him repaired. It just goes on and on and on and on. Verse after verse after verse. But let's skip down to verse 31. After him repaired Malachi the goldsmith's son unto the place of the Nethanims and of the merchants over against the gate Mifkad to the going of the corner and between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate. Oh my goodness. They made it back where they started. They started at the sheep gate. They went all the way around and they made it back to the sheep gate. And they repaired. Who was it that finished it up? The goldsmiths and the merchants. Chapter 4, verse 6, and we'll close. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. And it took them a grand total of 52 days. Let's stand. Fifty-two days. Can you imagine? It was rubble, tore to pieces. But the people had a mind to work. I tell you, whenever we announced here, a month and a half ago, two months ago, we was going to meet over to a new place and tear up the, tape, the paper off the floor and do a bunch of stuff. I told Brother Michael, I said, we wind up with about 15 or 20 people with shop vacs. We'll be able to wipe it out. My land, we got over there, there was, I don't know how many hundreds. 
I asked Michael, I said, do all these people come to our church? I don't think we've seen this big a crowd since COVID. But in a natural sense, the people had a mind to work. Now, some of you couldn't come, of course. But the sisters was ripping up paper. They was tearing out. They was hauling. It was unbelievable. And once they got that part cleaned out, they started over there in the, in the fellowship hall part. I had to go over there and tell them to quit doing it because it was such a dust cloud. The dust was flying everywhere. I mean, it was unbelievable. The people just working, working. And what, can, what can we do? People come to me. Come to Brother Michael. Come on. Well, what can we do? What can we do? I thought, oh, Lord. If we can be that fervent about the work of God. And sure, that's going to be a nice place for us. Thank God for it. I hope every gets to have one service in it. I hope the rapture comes. Well, you say, what are you doing it for? Listen to taking sides of Jesus. You don't understand exactly why I'm doing it. Brother Bram said, if the Lord was coming tomorrow, he said, the people here wanted to build a new church. He said, was, they voted on it. They want to build it. He said, then let's put it up. So if Jesus is coming tomorrow, let's start building on it today. You see, it shows people don't understand that concept. If people thought Jesus is coming tomorrow, you think they'd strike a lick at a snake? Well, they'd put their feet up in a recliner and sit right there and drink a big glass of hot tea and eat a moon pie and whatever more. And they'll go, what are you doing? I'm waiting on Jesus to come tomorrow. Well, you won't go because you ain't got the right attitude. I'll tell you who's going. Them that's out there milking the cows and building the church and doing whatever. He said, well, why tie up all that money in the church? And he said, what good is it to have it in the bank? So he said, we're doing what we're called to do. We're at our post of duty. Praise God. If we get that building done the day before we have the dedication, the Lord comes, I'll be shouting down the streets of glory. Hallelujah to God. I was faithful right down to the very last moment. Friends, fight with all you got. Pray with all you got. Do everything you can do. Oh my, God bless you. I'm sorry. I want to let over tonight. Forgive me. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, praise the Lord. What are you going to be identified as? Maybe your job is a computer guy. Maybe you write software. Maybe you uh, work in recycling of metals or you paint or whatever more. But I'm not just talking about that so much. What is your spiritual name? Praise God. Can we tell you've been with the Rose of Sharon? Because your life smells of His sweetness. Is your name Jehovah heals me? And when you say that, my brother, sister, it means no doubt you come through a great trial. But your life bears record. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, may God help us. We can take on the birth of our real name. I'm not sure what I'm called exactly, but I can see what I want to do. I can see what I'm called to do. So I believe I'm reflecting my future name. I want to be a soldier in the fight of the Lord. I've only been given a small patch, as it were, a small area to fight, but I want to fight with all of my might. Don't you? I believe God has not called me here to fight alone, but He's put different people around to help me fight together. Jehovah blesses.
Jehovah heals. Jehovah exalts. He's mindful. He's a savior. We look around and see the hand of our God. Then let's build, my brother. Let's build, my sister, until Jesus comes. Let us build with our brothers and sisters from Ghana and Guyana, from Zimbabwe, from Kenya, from Ohio, from Indiana, from West Virginia, from around the world. They will build in their little part. Praise God. But our brothers and sisters from India, from Nepal, hallelujah, from France, from Switzerland, they're building their part of the wall and working on the bride. They're laying right up against the brothers in London. They're laying right up against the brothers from Cambodia and Thailand and the islands of the Indies. And the wall is going up weekend by weekend, Wednesday night by Wednesday night. We're building, laying another run, another run. And we lay a timber over the gate. Some are hanging the gates behind us before long. Praise God. It'll be finished. Remember the prophet telling us in the church age book that the gates, the gigantic gates of pearl of that great big city there in heaven have already been hung. Then there must be another one being built upon the earth that is matching that. What is it? The house of God. The house of God. When the last run is made, the last timber as it was has been placed. The last gate has been placed there. And the body of God on the earth is finished. The prophet said, anybody knows the body of Jesus is not yet finished on the earth. But the church is that body. That is his tabernacle. He will come and call away his tabernacle and take this city to a new city. Take this bride to the one that John saw. And I, John saw the holy city the new Jerusalem descending from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. What is the rapture? It's the adorning of the bride city going to her husband. What is the eighth day coming down? That new city with its inhabitants coming down upon the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city set on a hill which cannot be hid. So he's finishing the walls, building the temple, hanging the gates till the last one is finished. Then he will call her away. Praise be to God. We will hear his voice. Come away, my love. Come away. Hallelujah. Come away, my sweetheart. Come to the place I've gone to prepare for you. Oh, don't you want to be ready, children? You want to work with all your might. But Brother Donnie, I ain't a preacher. You don't have to be. But I'm not a great builder. You don't have to be. All you got to do is just use what he's put in your hands. That's all you got to do. You'll never require out of you the man's ability beside you. He'll only require what he puts in your hands. Use it with all your might. If he's called you to pray, pray. Called you to read, called you to 
sit down and write people cards and encourage them. Do it with all of your strength. All your might. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come away, my love. Oh, come away, my love. How I've waited for this day when I could tell you your new name. Eternity awaits us. Come away, my love. Everybody, come away, my love. Come away, my love. Oh, I've waited for this day when I 
give myself away I give myself away so you can
together before we go no doubt Lord we've looked on the wall and we've looked over at this preacher's work and maybe that one's work this goldsmith this merchant this one and that one thought wow man that sure don't look very good wow that'll never be able to do this or that or the other I don't know why Lord but we tend to be so critical in this message Brother Branham, even coming back from India, 1954 in the India report, he asked the people to pray for him. He told his wife that he needed to get that old critical spirit off of him. The difference between him and us was he was honest enough to admit it. And he needed to get it off of him. Oh, I know we as message people don't quote that very much because it destroys that divine image we have of him. But he was a man like us. 
and he was able to admit it got critical. A lot of times we're so critical, Lord. Help us, I pray. Forgive us for being so critical. Help us, Jesus. Oh, there's things we know we must criticize. But if we're not careful, we become so critical of everything and everybody. Oh, God, may we as your people look with divine inspiration. Look at the work that we might have criticized of this man or that one or the other one. But if we could see through your eyes, it's simply the work of a goldsmith doing the best that he can. Or the work of a merchant that's doing the best that he can. Oh, God. Forgive us, Lord. We want to go home. Lord, the rapture will not come when we get our little part of the wall finished and we build our little portion and we say, well, praise God, we're done. We beat this church and we beat that church. Lord, just call the rapture. The rapture won't go till every last stone is in its place. Every last one is in their position. Then we'll go as one great unified body. Then, Lord, we don't just pray for our work. We pray for the work of God around the world. Bring in the redeemed, God. Bring in the elected. Finish those that need the Holy Ghost. Help us each one, Lord, to work on this great work of God until it's finished and we can all go home. Lord, I'm so homesick. I want to go home, Lord. I don't feel at home in this world no more. I want to go home, Lord Jesus. It's getting more unfit every day we live here. Come, Lord Jesus, and take us away. Would you, Lord God? Go with us now, Father, we pray. Bring us back on Sunday. We're looking forward to a great time in your word, Father. We love you. Go with your people now. Keep them during the remainder part of the work week. If one of us was to slip away, we won't be apart long. We'll be gathered together again. Watch over him, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus. How many could say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you come back on Sunday, and you're going to get to hear a good preacher. Good preacher. I mean really good. Really good preacher. I don't know if I should tell you who it is or not, but it's going to be a really good preacher. Y'all will be blessed by him. Brother Andrew Glover. Okay, okay, okay. Some of y'all had that pitiful look on your face. (laughs) Amen. We love Brother Andrew. We so appreciate his ministry. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. What are we going to sing? I just want to be ready. That's a good one. God bless you. Go in the fear of God. I, I want to be ready to go. I, oh, yes, I do. Yes, I.